We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. And I'll just go ahead and apologize right up front for the frogginess of my voice. I'm not sure if I've been attacked by the Delta variant this week or what, but I spent the last few days kind of under the weather. I think I'll survive. I should make it through. Today, I'm going to get into the letter of Jude. Very interesting, very short letter and a very appropriate follow-up to the last episode of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's warning about the last days, perilous times coming, and a culture of lawlessness, and the tools we need to overcome a culture of lawlessness. Jude follows up that chapter very nicely. Like Paul, Jude is warning and telling his listener to remember what the apostles taught. In verse 17, he says, You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers, following after their own ungodly passions. Jude is referring back to the teachings of the apostles, particularly the apostle Paul and his warnings about the last days, about scoffers who would arise who would follow after their ungodly passions. So we can see Jude is very much on the same page, very much on the same wavelength as Paul here. And what does that have to do with us today? Well, glad you asked. We find ourselves in a culture war. If you haven't been paying attention Our news feeds are filled not so much with actual world events, things that are actually happening around the world that are significant and historical. No, no, no. Our our news feed isn't filled with actual historical events that are happening around the world so much. Then they are filled with virtue signaling. What is happening in our world? What is happening in our culture that we are so bogged down in the things that do not matter that we're actually not paying attention to the things that do matter. What's happening? Well, we are engaged in a culture war. Left versus right, battling over the culture of America. The right has to say, no, we do not want the future that the progressives want. And the progressives would say, no, we don't want the past that the conservatives want. And so we are entrenched in a battle that goes on and on and on and on. It's like, what can I be outraged about today? What can I find in the newsfeed that will justify my hatred for my cultural opponents? That's basically where we are. So we look to our newsfeed to give us information that justifies our hatred for the opposing side. So we can say, ah, I'm justified in despising you. So we're entrenched in a culture war. Question becomes, 
Like what on the right side can we do? Because we see a lot of folks in the church, a lot of people who claim Christ, who want to say, they, they recognize, hey, there is injustice. We need to listen to our cultural opponents and maybe even agree with them on some, some points. And that's all, all well, fine and good, whatever. My uh, brother-in-law just was in Chicago, visited Chicago the last couple of weeks. Just that's where, his, where he grew up. We want to take his family out there. He was out there during Pride Month, right? It's not even. It's not a week. It's not a day. Now it's a month. Probably next year it'll be Pride Year. Maybe we're heading into Pride Decade at some point. I'm not sure, but he was out there in Chicago. He said he was downtown. Every place was waving a rainbow flag. Like, hey, we got our Pride flag up. Hey, fantastic! Wow, Chicago is is very supportive of Pride Month or whatever. And his comment was basically anyone who wouldn't be hanging up a a Pride flag would be flagged for being intolerant. They would be potentially canceled. They would suffer for not agreeing with the Pride agenda. Right, woe to anyone who did not wave the flag. Right, so like, so, so we have our businesses, we have our lives. We see this ever-growing hostility in the world, where the city of Chicago is draped in pride flags, and everybody's you know living it up out there. And on top of that, opposing voices who say like, hey, you know what? The Bible actually says that actually gives us the uh, formula for healthy human relationships and sexuality. The Bible actually speaks to these realities. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not just gonna, you know, vo- I'm not just gonna not, you know, wave a, a, a pride flag. I'm actually going to vocally express the truth. Well, anyone who would take that kind of a stance would be in our day and time would be silenced. They would be canceled. That may not seem like that big of a deal until you consider how the Nazis came to power in 1930s Germany. It wasn't that everybody was super excited about the Nazis. There was a lot of people who were not excited. There was just a lot of people who didn't want to lose their business there was just a lot of people who didn't want to lose their jobs. There was just a lot of people who wanted to be quiet and just wave the swastika flag so that they would not be targeted by an increasingly hostile opposition. And so here we are in history. Christians Christians have valued tolerance, have valued letting other folks express their speech, express their ideas. Why are Christians comfortable in allowing others to express their ideas and express whatever it is if it's not biblical? Because Christians are confident in the truth of God, and they believe and know that the truth of God will ultimately prevail. And so we don't feel like we need to institute some sort of totalitarian control over ideas, because we know the truth of God will prevail. So there's no need to cancel opposition. There's no need to silence those who oppose us. We let them speak freely because we know what we believe 
is the truth. And we know deceptions will go by the wayside. But now, if you're on the opposite side and you know that you're actually not standing in the truth and you're on the wrong side of history, if you are defending deception and destruction, then the truth presents a real threat to you. Liberals and progressives aren't interested in canceling lots of other false, deceptive information. And that's why the canceling and the silencing, they are, they're not silencing Islam. They're not silencing Muslims. They're not silencing Islam. Well, <laughs> wait a second. Isn't Islam uh, responsible for, uh, let's just say, executing those who identify as homosexual? Um, uh, you know, sorry if I'm just like speaking like reality, but is that not something that kind of happens on a daily basis in the Middle East where like, oh, homosexual? Okay, then we know what to do with you, right? I mean, that is part of the culture, the Islamic culture. Why aren't progressives silencing <laughs> Islam? Why aren't they canceling Islam? Oh, oh, there's, there's something else going on. They're not threatened by Islam. They're threatened by the truth. And that's why they want to cancel the truth. They want to pervert the grace of God. They want to distort the faith. They want to oppose God. They want to silence the truth. So that, that's the war we find ourselves in. And the question becomes, does the Bible have anything to say? about this current culture war that we find ourselves in. We're, we're afraid to, we're afraid we might lose our jobs, our income might suffer, we might uh, lose our reputation. So we are bowing down and in a lot of ways compromising, capitulating to the increased pressures of this culture war. But did you know the Bible speaks very clearly about this very issue? And actually, it's this issue that Jude sheds incredible light upon. And so if you're trying to understand like what's happening in the culture, what is behind it, how can I understand it? And more importantly, how can I overcome and get through this craziness for Jesus? How can I overcome for him, you know, for the Lord in these days? Then this episode should be a blessing to you. Go ahead and open up your Bible to the letter of Jude. It is the final epistle in the New Testament right before the book of Revelation. So Lord, we ask you to open your word to us and help us to understand. Help us to contend for the faith. Help us to fight for the faith that has been handed to us to contend for it in our hearts and in the hearts of those who we love, in the hearts of those who listen to us, and in, the, in, the, in, in this culture that opposes you and rejects authority. Lord, we ask for anointing on your word. We ask for Holy Spirit guidance that you would empower your word in us and through us that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be done in our lives. Let your will be done. 
Help us to align with your truth. Help our faith have a, the fullness of your word aligned in the fullness of your word. We open our hearts to you. We ask you. We seek you. We are knocking. We're asking Jesus that you would speak to us. We thank you for all the good things that you're doing in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So Jude, like I said, verse 17, I'm kind of beginning at the end of the letter because this is kind of what the letter's about. He's telling his uh, audience to remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following after their own ungodly passion. What is Jude's motivation here? Why is he writing this letter? Well, he says right off the Right off the rip here, he says, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude says, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, almost like he was saying, I was, e- was going to write this letter for one reason, but now I feel like there's another reason why I want to write this letter. He says, I was going to write this letter up just talking about our common salvation. I was going to talk about what we have in Christ. And, and you, know, the, you know, who knows what was exactly in Jude's heart, but he wanted to, he wanted to connect with his audience regarding the common salvation that they shared in Jesus and the different facets of it and, and, and whatever Jude had in his, in his mind and his heart for that letter. But then he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. He was like, I was going to write about our common salvation, but I'm telling you, I need to write, this is more important, the thing that's in my heart here is is necessary for the hour that you're in, the hour that, that you're heading into. And it's that you contend for the faith. What does that mean, contend for the faith? If you contend, if you're a contender, if you're, if you're in fighting, if you're MMA or boxing or kickboxing, and you're contending for the championship belt, what does that mean? It means you're fighting for it. You're fighting. You're taking everything that you have, everything that you've learned, everything that is at your disposal, and you're applying it to be victorious, to overcome. And what are we fighting for? We're fighting, Jude says, I want you to fight well, Jude, what do we fight? Oh, yeah, we'll fight. Let's fight. Let's fight. Are we fighting over the culture? Should we be fighting for a culture that is descending into madness? Should we, make, should we stake our claim in American culture or world culture? Should we be fighting over the culture? Jude says, no. I want you to fight. 
for the faith. Fight for the faith. Wow, Jude. Okay, so we're not primarily fighting for the culture. We're fighting for the faith. What does that mean? What faith? What are you talking about, Jude? What, what, what can we fight for? He says, fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, Jude is the second to last book slash letter of the Bible. It's only, um, the, there's only one book after it, and that's the book of Revelation. So when Jude is saying, I want you to fight for the faith that has been delivered once and for all, he may or may not be aware of what the volume of the canon would actually end up being, probably wasn't, but he was aware of a God who taught his people what to believe. He was very aware of Almighty God speaking to his people, telling them what to believe. We need to believe God's truth. We need to believe what God tells us to believe. There is a faith that has been delivered to us. Who is the author of faith? It's Jesus who delivered this faith to us once and for all. God, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. And Jude here is saying, I want you to contend, fight for the faith that is revealed in the word of God. Jude is saying, I want you to believe everything that is in the word of God. I want you to anchor yourself in the word of God. This is the faith that has been delivered once and for all. You must fight for it. If you compromise, if you give ground, you will suffer for it. If you relinquish what God has told you to believe in his word, you will suffer for it. Jude is saying, contend for the faith. Fight for it. This faith that is revealed in the word of God. Our faith, though could, it can be as small as a mustard seed, Jesus says, will grow up and be bigger than all the, the trees and will give harbor to those who come to us, interact with us, are part of our lives. We can be a harbor, a shelter, a refuge for those around us. If our faith will grow and align with the word of God more and more every day, the process of this, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, contend, fight for the faith, the apostolic faith, the faith of Paul. Contend for this faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. 
Well, cool, Jude. That's, that's pretty awesome, man. I can definitely do that. I can contend for the faith. I can fight for the faith. I can fight to align myself to the word of God. I can declare the word of God to my family, to my friends. I can contend for what the word of God says in my church. And I can declare what the word of God says to believe in this hostile world. Jude says, good. Now I want you to understand something. You need to understand the battlefield. You need to understand the theater in which you will be doing battle. Because Jude tells us to contend for the faith. Now he's going to tell us who we are contending against. Who is our enemy? Now, we know our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not people. That's why, you know, it's always funny because you hear, like, the conspiracy, you know, folks like, oh, the real problem, you know, is this guy or the real problem is that guy, the Rockefellers or the Rothschilds or or whoever it is. The only problem is, is eventually, you know, George Soros or whoever is going to die. He will die. But guess what? There's going to be another guy like George Soros who will take his place. Evil doesn't end with people. Evil transcends it, transcends humanity. It's actually a spiritual principality and power that finds expression through people. So we know people are not our enemy, but we also know that the enemy works through people. So we need to understand that that is part of the battlefield. Now, Jude is going to give us very specific warnings about very specific people. Now, we realize, again, I'll say this, and I'll say this for the last time, because we all agree our battle is not against people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, just like Paul said. So we know whoever is on the front lines of the culture war for the liberal left, fighting for the most, you know, pronouns today, and the, the you know, the, the, whatever they're fighting for today, those people may be gone tomorrow, whoever, like it's, today it's Al and Frank and Nancy, they're, they're, the, they're the, you know, social justice warriors. And so it would be a mistake to think that our war is against Al, Frank, and Nancy. It's not. Because tomorrow, there's a good chance Al, Frank, and Nancy won't be progressive enough for their crowd anymore. And so they will actually disappear. And there will be a new, it won't be Al, Frank, and Nancy anymore. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be Bob, Jake, and... And Karen or whoever, right? So it's not about the actual individuals. There's a greater power at play. There's a darker force that uses human beings like pawns. And we know that those human beings, if they follow, if, if they end up being pawns in the hands of a dark force for the rest of their lives, we know what their destination will be unless they repent. And that's what we pray for, and that's what we preach for, and that's what we believe for, and that's what we declare for, and that's what we love for. So we love Frank, Alan, Nancy, Bob, and Karen. We love, we love them, and we believe that they will repent. 
and we act in gentleness and kindness. Even though they are coming at us to cancel us, they're coming at us to silence us, we are responding in kindness and in love, praying for their repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing that they are no greater sinners than we are, knowing that they are just pawns in a much larger war that we're actually engaged in. And what we need to know is how do we win that war? Not how we win the little arguments between us and, and Frank. That's, that's not the point. The point is how do we win the war? And that's what Jude's trying to tell us here. But he says, hey, I want you to understand that there are some people that you need to be aware of. What I like to call these people, it's actually the same people <laughs> that Paul warns us about in 2 Timothy 3. He says, and Paul says, um, among those are those who creep in to households and lead away weak-willed women. I didn't really touch on that particular verse um, very much in the last episode, but I will be touching on it here in greater detail, because Jude takes that verse and blows it up for us. Paul talks about creeps in the last days. Those in the last days who would creep into households and lead away weak-willed women. Jude does the same thing here in verse 3. He says, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Crept in unnoticed. Crept into the church. They're Creeps, last day creeps. Jude is telling us to be aware of these creeps. These are the ones that Jude is telling us to contend for the faith against. He's saying, This is what I want you to fight for. I want you to fight for the faith that has been handed down to us, delivered once and for all to the saints, revealed in the word of God. Fight for that faith. And he's saying, your enemies are creeps that will creep in unnoticed. And so a lot of what we're experiencing in the church right now, with the church actually agreeing with the darkness in the world, is because Certain people, certain creeps have crept in to our congregation, have crept in to our leadership unnoticed. They have crept in unnoticed. And now the agreement that the church is being seduced by in the world, being seduced into agreement with the world that is a drift that is leading into the abyss that agreement is rising largely on the wings of these last day creeps that have crept in among us unnoticed. And Jude is, saying, I, Jude is writing this letter saying, I want you to notice the creeps. I want you to be well aware of these creeps. So the rest of the letter is largely Jude telling us about these last day creeps. What does Jude say? 
He says, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ. These creeps pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Creeps and perverts. Twisting the grace of God. Jude says, I want you to be aware that these creeps and perverts are in your midst. They're working against you. You are to contend for the faith, not to agree with creeps and perverts. This is the clear teaching of Jude. You really want to boil it down. But before I get too far, let's go ahead and take a look a little deeper in this letter. He says, verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude is, is, is giving us the context for understanding these last day creeps, these perverts who perverse the grace of God into sensuality. He says they indulge sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desire. So the base foundational motivation of these last day creeps is unnatural desire. They desire something that is unnatural, that is oppositional to God, his kingdom, his truth, his life. They want something else. They indulge in sexual immorality and they follow unnatural desire. He says in verse 8, Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So these last day creeps, they rely on dreams. They're not relying on the word of God. They're not contending for the truth of God, for the faith that was handed down once and for all. No, no, no. They're grounded in something different. They're grounded in the machinations of their own imagination. They're following their own imagination, their dreams. They rely on their dreams. Their dreams. What is a dream? Your dream is a product of your own imagination, your own mind. And what is their dream? Their dreams are based in unnatural desire. That is what they follow after. That is what they indulge in. He says they reject authority. They despise authority. 
these last day creeps, because they desire something that is oppositional to God, they hate God's authority, God's authority structure in this world and in the family. In the last episode, we talked about Paul warning about the perilous times of the last days, that that people would despise their own parents, that they would reject the authority of their own parents. That is the kind of the core reality of rejecting God's authority. So when we see the rejection of law enforcement, when we see the rejection of government authority, that's not just because they're mad about not getting what they that, that they think they should be able to just loot whatever store they want to loot. They want to do that too. But the reason they want to burn down the police precinct is because they reject authority. They despise God's authority. And the manifestation of God's authority in their lives happens to be their parents, happens to be their teachers, happens to be law enforcement. And so they reject the authority. They despise authority. And it says, Jude says, they blaspheme the glorious ones. They, when it says blaspheme the glorious ones, who are the glorious ones? They're the saints. They're God's people on the earth. These last day creeps and perverts oppose with irre- uh, irreverence, a irreverent opposition. So they use all sorts of filthy words, use all sorts of filthy thoughts, all to oppose the saints. So Jude's warning us about this culture, this rising tide of creeps and perverts whose real desire, they don't really want social justice. They don't really want whatever the thing is that they say they want. What they want is unnatural desire. What they want is a unfettering of their sexual appetite. And it's not just enough to be silent and go, okay, yeah, guys, just do whatever you want. No, no, no. They want your approval. They want you to approve of what they are doing. And they won't stop until you approve. It's not going to be enough just to put a pride flag on your house. No, no, no. You're going to have to get out at that parade and cheer and clap. Just like the Nazis it wasn't good enough just to you know, have a swastika on the front of your house. No, no, no. You had to go to the, you had to go to the town square and you had to, to march around and, and, and salute Hitler. You had to approve. That's, that's the ultimate goal of the enemy is to bring into alignment through approval this dark agenda. But it says in Jude says in in verse 10, these people blaspheme all that they don't understand. These people, they don't even understand what they're opposing. 
Jude says they're like unreasoning animals, like their brain has left. And they're programmed like a robot. Don't even know what they believe. Don't even know what they're opposing. Don't care. They're just an unreasoning animal. And Jude says about these that they're destroyed by all that they understand instinctively. Jude says these last day creeps are destroyed by their instinct. Their instinct is actually what destroys them. The driving force, like an animal, like an unreasoning animal, like a moth drawn to the flame, like the moth doesn't like understand, like that's fire and I'm going to fly into the fire because it's bright and I'm an unthinking animal and that's what I do. Jude says it's just like that. It's just like a moth has no idea what it's doing. It's just being drawn into the fire. Doesn't think about it. Doesn't really care. Just flies into the fire and is destroyed. Jude says, woe to them. And this is the part that I want to kind of zero in on here. He says, they have walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. He says three things about these people, these last day creeps. He says, they have walked in the way of Cain. Now you remember the story of Cain and Abel. Cain was a man of the field. Abel was a shepherd. And so the story goes that Abel, the day came when they offered sacrifices to God. And Abel offered his sheep, his firstborn sheep, the best that he had. God accepted Abel's offering, was pleased. Cain made an offering of grain. We're not given a whole lot of information on what, how, or why. But God does not accept Cain's sacrifice. He tells Cain, like, hey, if you do right... I will accept you. The Lord is saying to Cain, Cain, your heart is wrong. Your desire is wrong. Your motivations are wrong. I know a lot of people will be like, oh, the, the reason why God didn't accept it was because, you know, if you would have taken one of the sheep, then God would have been happy with it. I don't think it boils down to a surface level and it, it, it never does boiled down to a surface reality, like, oh, if Cain would have just offered a sheep, he would have been, he would have been fine. No, it's the heart behind the sacrifice. And the Lord is addressing Cain's heart, saying, Cain, your heart's not right towards me. Your desire is wrong. He says, if you do right, you will be accepted. If, you, if your heart is right towards me, you will be accepted. But he says, but if you don't, then you need to understand sin is crouching at your, at your door and it will destroy you. If you don't come to me, if you don't cleanse yourself from being a vessel of dishonor, then sin is crouching at your door and it will consume you. Now, Cain had one of two 
options here. He could have listened to the Lord. He could have repented and he could have turned and he could have offered the next sacrifice, been accepted to the Lord, used, been cleansed from being a, a vessel of dishonor and being fit for the master's use. That was the option for Cain. That was not the option Cain chose. No, instead, Cain identified as the victim. You've heard of this term identity politics, right? Identity politics. It's when you create a spectrum. It's kind of the the basis for communism, right? You create a spectrum of classes, and then your then you you make a grab for power over your political enemies based on your identity. So you create identities, you label everybody with identities, and then you determine why your identity is superior to somebody else's identity. So that's what you have ha- happening in our culture these days, right? Where the spectrum is victim versus privileged. And so you have people creating labels for themselves and for other people entirely based on the spectrum of victim versus privileged. And the more victimized your identity can be, the greater your voice and authority, the greater your power is over those who are labeled privileged. And so that's why you have the world clamoring over the most victimized statuses possible. And you have the world labeling as many people as privileged as possible because the victim knows that they can cancel and silence the privileged. Well, that's the first identity politician in history was Cain. Cain took what God said to him and played identity politics. He said, wow, I am the victim here. I did everything I could. I um, am a victim of God's authority. I'm a victim of God's world. And you know who is benefiting from God's authority? You know who's benefiting from God's world and God's order? My brother Abel. He's privileged. I am the victim. I have been rejected by God. So I'm, I, I have this uh, rejection victim status, and look at my brother over there enjoying all the benefits of being privileged. So Cain draws this line, makes these identity markers that God never gave, that God does not validate ever in his word. He takes the labels and he makes his play for power. That's what Cain does. He says, I'm the victim. My brother's the privileged one. That means I'm justified in murdering my brother. Because that only, that's the only way to make this right. That's the only way for me to get what belongs to me. Because at the end of the day, when you're playing identity politics... Base, basic foundational motivation is a power grab. You're 
falling for the lie that you deserve something, that you're entitled to something that doesn't belong to you. So Cain makes his grab for power based on his victim status, murders his quote-unquote privileged brother, and God curses him for it. And why does Cain do this? He does it for power. He does it for gain. So the history's, so history's first identity politician also happens to be history's first murderer. That's why when you have mobs of people who identify as victims and they look at businesses and say, those businesses are privileged, we are victims, they are privileged, we are therefore justified to burn down your business, to beat the business owner who tries to defend his business. We are justified just as Cain was justified to murder his brother. And why? Because we're out to get ours. We want power. We want money. Which brings us to the motivation that Jude's talking about next. He says, first, they walk in the way of Cain. They were they are identity politicians. And it says he they abandon themselves um, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now, what was Balaam? Remember Balaam, the old prophet in uh, I think Numbers. Um, Numbers 22, sorry, I had to pull the reference there. Numbers 22 tells the, the story of Balaam. He was a gifted prophet who had power from God to either bless or curse people. He heard from the Lord and had real heavenly power to do that. Now, Balak, a king of one of the, 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 the people that were in the, the promised land when the, the Israelites were marching around, wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites. And so he came to Balaam and said, hey, man, I need you to do me a favor here. I need you to go and curse these Israelites. Because Balak knew that if Balaam cursed the Israelites, they would be cursed. So Balaam's like, let me, I gotta, I gotta ask the Lord. I can't just do these things. I, you know, I gotta get authority from heaven to, to before I can curse somebody like that, right? So Balaam goes, he, he asks the Lord, hey, is it cool if I go curse these Israelites? And the Lord's like, um, no. Those are my people. They are blessed. Do not call a people cursed that I have called blessed. He says, answer flat, straight, no. Balaam, do not do it. Balak the king comes back to Balaam the next day, like, hey, man, what do you say? Come on, let's go curse these guys. Balaam says, hey, unfortunately, no, sorry, can't do it. The Lord said no. Hard no. Well, Balak, not one to take no for an answer, said, oh, well, we just didn't offer him enough money. So let's go ahead and offer Balaam more money. So it says that an entourage came back the next day with more wealth and more honor. 
and Balaam did the, oh, you can't buy me off. There's no way you can buy me off. Uh-uh. Mm, nope. I, what, do you take, what do you take me for here? You think you can just buy me off? And he said, well, you know, let me just go ahead and check with the Lord one more time to make sure. So, oh, oh, Balaam, wait. Balaam, didn't you just get the answer from the Lord? The Lord gave you a hard no. And now you're going to go back and ask him again. Why are you asking him again? Oh, because they offered you more money. They offered more money, and that changes the equation for you. Guess who that doesn't change the equation for? That doesn't change the equation for the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't care how much money somebody offers you to do something. If he said it was no, then the answer is no. But if you're going to follow after profit, if you're going to go after your money, get rich, get paid, then God says, okay, yeah, go for it. And Balaam gets rebuked by his donkey and almost dies for it. It was all for money, all for power. Money is power. So the motivation of these last day creeps, these who follow the way of Cain, these identity politicians who identify as victims and declare their enemies privileged, their base motivation, like Cain, is power. It says they abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. They have given themselves to money and power. That's what they want. Finally, it says of these folks, these last day creeps, perverts, motivated in, by unnatural desire, says they perish in Korah's rebellion. Now remember, Korah's rebellion, let me look up that reference real quick. That's actually uh, Numbers chapter 16. Korah says he rose up before Moses. They assembled themselves together against Moses. Korah rose up against Moses. Well, what was Moses? Moses was God's authority. Korah rejected God's authority. Korah says in verse 3, Moses, you have gone too far. He says, all in the congregation are holy and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourself? Moses, Korah accuses Moses of being privileged. Like Korah wakes up, he's like, hey, you know what? I'm sick of God's authority. I have these base, unnatural desires that I want to pursue God's authority is holding me back from what I really want to do. And I'm sick of it. So I'm going to go ahead and draw some lines here. I'm going to throw out some labels. Guess what, Moses? You're privileged and everybody underneath you is a victim. And Chorus says, all the victims, come on over here with me. And we're going to rise up against Moses and his authority. Well, what Korah didn't understand is he, he may have been mad at Moses but it wasn't Moses that Korah rejected. It went beyond Moses.
It says in verse 11, it is against the Lord that you have rebelled, Korah. You didn't just rebel against a guy. You rebelled against God Almighty. You're contending not against flesh and blood, but against the Almighty Creator of the universe. So the Lord says to Moses, separate yourselves from among the congregation and get away from the dwelling of Korah. The Lord says, hey, move away from the dwelling of Korah. It says, if the Lord opens up a pit and swallows them alive, then you will know that they have despised the Lord. The Lord says to Moses, hey, look, if these guys die like anybody else, then you'll know like, hey, it's no big deal. Ah, I kind of overlooked it. No big deal. But he says, hey, look, if I open up the earth and the earth swallows them whole, then know this, that they weren't fighting against Moses. They were fighting against the Lord. They weren't just rejecting the authority of Moses. They were rejecting the authority of God. And Korah didn't die like every other man. He didn't, he didn't die you know, gumming some applesauce as an old man. Nope. The earth opened up and swallowed him whole. That's how these last day creeps are actually destined to be destroyed. The earth will open up. A lake of fire will be opened and they will be thrown in. That is the destiny of these last day creeps. Jude says, these folks, these last day creeps, last day perverts, who follow after their own unnatural desires, who indulge in sexual immorality, who that's really, that's their thing, and they want to break away, reject God's authority, break away from God's authority, quote-unquote, progress beyond God's, rea- God's truth. Psalm 2, breaking bonds of God, creating their own reality, a breakaway civilization from the kingdom of God. He says of them, these are waterless clouds swept along by wind, Fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted. It says, wild waves of the sea casting up foam, their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So this is the destiny. These, these, these people are not grounded in the word of God. They are not grounded in the faith. Remember, Jude Jude says, I want you to contend. I want you to fight for the faith that has been handed down once for all. I want you to ground yourself in the word of God that does not move, that does not shake. He says, because your opponents are like wandering stars. Now you remember wandering stars. If you look into the night sky, there are fixed stars that are up there all the time. They never move. You look up to those stars, they're there 
They were there a thousand years ago. They'll be there a thousand years from now. They're fixed. They're not going to move. She says, they're not like the fixed stars. No, they're like the wandering stars. Well, what's a wandering star? Well, now we've got satellites. So we could say like, oh, satellites are kind of like wandering stars. But he's not talking about satellites. There weren't satellites back in those days. There were comets, asteroids, meteors. You see them blaze. They'd move across. They'd disappear. They'd be gone. They're not fixed. Why? Because they rely on dreams. They rely on their own imagination. They're chasing their own unnatural desires and passion. So they are destined to fade away. They're not fixed. They're not anchored. Their destination is the abyss, the lake of fire, just as Korah's destination was to be swallowed by the earth. These identity politicians who fight against the faith pervert God's grace are destined for fire. He says in verse 14, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. It's like Judas going out of his way to say, these people are utterly without God, ungodly in all of their ungodly ways and ungodliness. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord, their blasphemies, their irreverent opposition and rejection of the Lord. It says, verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And here's the final call from the book of Jude, verse 17. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. This is bringing it back full circle. Now that we understand the battlefield, now that we understand what's happening in our culture, we can go back to the original exhortation of Jude. Jude, what do you want us to do? I want you to contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. Do not compromise with this culture and understand that the battlefield is not the culture. We must rise above the culture. We must fight for the faith and spearhead for a culture to rise up above the culture and live in a kingdom that transcends our culture. If we try to make the culture our battlefield, we are sure to lose. But if we contend for the faith, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, we cannot lose. This is the way for us to overcome. Not to battle for a culture, but to contend for the faith. He says, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. They're devoid 
of the Spirit. They're living in a void, like I talked about in the last episode. Ministers of the abyss, they operate devoid of the Spirit. They're like a black hole from which nothing can escape. There is no way to satisfy it. There's no way to appease it. Compromise and capitulation is not the answer. Contending for the faith is the answer. He says in verse 20, You, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit and keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Contend for the faith. Again, we come back to this reality. Contend for the faith. That means read your Bible. That means seek God in prayer. That means align with the word of God. Give yourself. Give your energy, your mind, your passion, your desire to build yourself up in the most holy faith. Most holy faith. That, my friends, is the path of sanctification. Drawing nearer to God, aligning more fully with His Word, letting His Word inform everything that we believe about God, about man, about ourselves, about this world. If God says it, I believe it. Build yourself up in that faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. And keep yourself in the love of God. Don't move from God's love. Don't be tempted by the hatred and the hostilities of this world. Stay in the love of God. That's the call. That's how we overcome. That's how we understand the nature of what we're called to in these last days. So that pretty much does it uh, for today's episode. I hope you are blessed. Um, if you are blessed and are enjoying what you're receiving from this podcast, I ask you to, to pass it along, share it, give me comments about how to make it better and let me know what I'm missing. Like, oh, bro, man, you missed this huge part in Jude. Like you didn't even touch this whole thing or boy, you really missed it on, on this point or that point, or you're going too far. I'm, I invite any and all feedback that the saints have. I'm my, I'm here to do the will of God. I'm here to minister his word, and I'm just asking you, like, if you can, please uh, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating, leave some comments, any kind of feedback, any, any way that you can push this podcast on, it could be a blessing to others. Um, let, let's face it, we're living in a day and a time where there's a lot of confusion 
and you know maybe there's 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 a, a real need for ministers to rise up in this hour and declare the word of god with clarity so that the saints can be equipped to understand what's happening in the culture what's happening in the world and understand what it's going to take to overcome in the days ahead in the days that we're in now so that's what i'm here that's why i'm here that's what i'm doing and i can't do it without you I can't do it without your involvement. I know a lot of times it's real easy just to push the play button, listen, go, ah, whatever, fine. But I need you to like get involved with me as we declare the word of God together. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you receiving from this. And I'm just, I'm praying for the blessing of the Lord to be upon you. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you. And... I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.